Welcome back to Canes in the Margins, the podcast series dedicated to re-energizing the mental health needs of people with blindness or visual impairment through education, communication, and collaboration. I'm your host, Clarissa Richardson, Christian mental health practitioner, doctoral candidate, and critical disability scholar. In today's episode, we courageously take a journey into the concept of mental health as a health-related resource for people with BVI, and we uncover why this podcast series is dedicating energy to critically analyzing the underutilization of mental health in the lives of people with BVI. And so in order to do this in an equitable way, it is necessary for us to deconstruct disability as a social political construct, position ourselves as part of this construct in the roles that we have, and most importantly, recognize that for social change to arrive from this deconstruction, we have to put on the superordinate identity of being learners, right? Being ready to listen and be educated about the realities of this issue that we are participating in, albeit implicitly. So let's begin. we need to talk about the problem, right? A sizable amount of current research indicates a high prevalence of mental health symptoms in the lives of people with BVI, such as anxiety and depression. According to the Center for Disease Control, roughly 3 million adult Americans have a visual impairment or blindness, and over 4 million for adults aged 40 and older. And you can see research by Flaxman and others 2021 and Lundin and others 2022 for the stats and statistics. In the United States, almost one third of people with blindness or visual impairment experience subclinical depression and anxiety, while around five to 7% have a major depressive disorder and 7% have an anxiety disorder with a significantly higher percentage compared with those having a healthy vision. And so while these numbers seem low, we have to remember and consider that there are less people with BVI in the U.S. than those with sight. But that does not equate to this issue being any less concerning. To put this into perspective, that is the equivalent of 1.2 million people with BVI in the United States with either subclinical or diagnosed mental health conditions. And numerous other studies have demonstrated a link between vision impairment and depression specifically. And you can see examples from Cho and others, 2018, and Mayro and others, 2020. A recent literature review by Demon and Silverstein in 2020 on mental health outcomes and current treatments for people with BVI 
found that despite data demonstrating an elevated prevalence of mental health symptoms in people with BVI, such as anxiety and depression, people with BVI remain largely untreated. And in this same review, the authors noted several other associations to mental health symptoms for people with BVI, including age-related vision loss, which is the number one leading cause of disability in the United States, up to 91% of people with age-related vision loss are not receiving treatment related to mental health symptoms, and other psychological problems such as suicidality and visual hallucinations, which all can lead to symptoms of anger and paranoia and anxiety. I want to pause briefly for a moment to share a story about my mom. I think it might help put this into perspective. My mom is blind, and she's the reason uh, of the passion and initiative behind this podcast series. Um, And she recently lost much of her hearing following an injury, resulting in a form of deaf blindness. Deaf blindness is a combination of, well, it's a severe impairment of hearing and sight. Um, And it's on a spectrum similar to blindness. And my mother, she had to relearn, uh, essentially, how to navigate her environment without relying on her hearing, as this was used in the past to really compensate for her blindness. So she had to learn American Sign Language, ASL, and she started becoming more involved in the deaf community just as a consequence of losing her hearing. And she learned of many tools and techniques of the trade, you know, to manage her new circumstances with the hearing impairment. And I remember her sharing of one instance where she was planning on going out with friends, but her hearing aid was not working well that day. So she decided to leave it behind and rely on her tools and techniques that she learned. And she told me that one of her friends noticed that she did not have her hearing aid in and had said, you know, you don't need your hearing aid. You can hear me just fine. Unbeknownst to the fact that she was struggling quite a bit to read the lips of her friends. And her friends started making quite a big deal about her quote unquote, faking it. Um, faking her her hearing impairment, um, saying things like, sometimes I think you're not blind or, you know, uh, you're never you're not really blind because you you get around so well and you can hear things I don't hear. You can you can see things I don't see. Um, and, and so it became a recurring joke amongst these friends. And my mother shared with me how she would just let this let this go. But it really did. uh create some type of anxiety, uh, well, more so depression for her, because this is not something that she would ever fake. That's That was her words. So this idea that people with disabilities who may appear not depressed, or maybe their life stories are not tragic enough to be considered justified to have resources that improve their lives, this is definitely experiences that are derived from disability. Um, In this way, the emergence of mental health symptoms is from the state of disability, not the condition of disability. And I'll explain what I mean. Abrams and Moyo, 2009, they remind me that power is both a state and a process. And thus, there's interconnected power in both of those. So disability as a social identity 
is a process by which people define themselves, thereby affecting the state of marginalization within varied contexts. So disability, guys, is not just a condition. It is a state of marginalization, a physical condition or a mental condition, and it's a process by which people define themselves positively or negatively. So when people, when we think about people with BVI this way, it almost becomes silly to imagine a world where sighted folks in power govern the obtainment of resources based on extent of blindness or visual impairment. Almost as if people with BVI can become unblind, if you will, if they truly try hard enough, right? Disability scholar Fiona Kumari Campbell defines ableism as a network of beliefs, processes, and practices that produce a particular kind of self and body, the corporeal standard that is projected as the perfect species typical and therefore essential and fully human. And, you know, I love Fiona's definition of ableism because it reminds me that we live in a world where people with disabilities were not included in, in, in that uh, construction. They weren't included in, in that build, that build up. And because of that, the world that we live in is inherently ableist. You know, this mentality of ableism is in the fabric of our American values. How do I know this? Well, because the definition of disability was not inclusive from the beginning. It did not involve people with disabilities. It involved efforts to regain control over injured bodies following World War I, efforts to define rehabilitation and subsequently operationalize healthcare needs for people with disabilities following the aftermath of World War I. And so with the primary efforts concerned with the reintegration of people with disabilities into ordinary life and work, rehabilitation actually evolved to a business designating medical professionals as experts relative to financial and other welfare-based entitlements. And you can see more about this by Shakespeare and Klein, 2013, and Herendani, 2019, in the scholarly section. So despite calls from scholars and psychiatrists to the amelioration of medicine from mental health study, this new definition of health rehabilitation insinuated the general notions of replacement, the general notions of substitution and compensation. And all of this was progressively applied to all impairments, not just those that were injured following the World War, but those that were congenital and acquired in nature. So the spread of health rehabilitation and intervention by the state has been assisted by welfare institutions, legislation, business interests, professional specializations, and medical diagnoses. And you can see more about this from Koch and Rumrill 2017 in the scholarly section. Such endorphins, um, excuse me, such endorsements, these, these endorsements encompassed political interests relative to the redistribution of support for people with disabilities. So it became practice for of dividing, it became common practice to divide the deserving from the undeserving. 
And so it's both a historical and current problem that we have. You know, in a time where globalization requires mental health organizations and treatment methods to consider diversity, equity, and inclusion principles, people with BVI continue to be excluded from these efforts based on the concept that disability lacks diversity. So how does this relate to people with BVI specifically? Well, I will share it with you. First, vision loss has historically been conceptualized as a medical problem. It often merges with that epistemological truth that's inherent to the medical model, concluding that psychological problems and the emergence of psychological issues and problems are in fact inclusive of the objective extent or intensity of one's vision loss. And that in turn affects the professional treatment of mental health symptoms or conditions for people with BVI. Second, the long-standing decisive positions relative to the medical and social models of disability have resulted in unreliable and often invalidating evaluative measures specific to the presence of mental health issues and the intercession of visual impairment. This has led to the unique mental health challenges of people with BVI underrepresented in literature, research, and institutions, and the mental health needs, issues, and experiences of people with BVI undermined by that disability social political category and narrative. And that has resulted in legislative powers regulating disability affairs as an economic concern. And this is where we get vocational rehabilitation, a dominant priority for people with BVI. While their unique mental health challenges are underrepresented, the visual impairment is overrepresented. You can see more about this from Mueller and Wentrab 2020 in the scholarly section. So in contrast to the mainstream population like you and I, or maybe sighted folks and people without disabilities, the classification of disability arguably does not interfere with the conceptualization and utilization of mental health services. So it is inequitable for people with BVI and their emerging mental health needs to be conceptualized as more or less complex than the average person without a disability. In the next section, I'm going to centralize the issue among the health rehabilitative professionals professionals, excuse me, most involved in the lives of people with BVI. This will help us further understand the roles and related interdependencies among them and how these are affecting mental health resources for people with BVI. So stay tuned. So despite this data, we've talked about the data, we've talked about people with BVI having powerful benefactors, right? 
people with BVI continue to be underrepresented as consumers in the mental health arena. So as with any phenomenon, it is critical to avoid the sole use of induction-based methods. Induction-based methods are those that we, we assume based on disability. For example, age is a risk. Socioeconomic is a risk. Gender is a risk. If we avoid those sole uses of induction-based methods and instead we assess the issue holistically to gain a concentrated understanding of the social and biological influences that may be impacting people with BVI from utilizing mental health treatment, we are going to gain a better understanding of the systematic problem. People with BVI interface with specific systems of care as part of health rehabilitation efforts. And so to maintain this focus on the circularity of care for people with BVI, it's very important that we examine those providers, those professionals who are most involved in the related systematic processes. First, we're gonna talk about VR. VR, uh, vocational rehabilitation, is a state federal program, a state federal system rather, that serves per people with disabilities preparing for and securing employment, as well as attempting to retain their jobs or advance in their careers. The Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act of 2014, as well as the revised version in 2016, governs this VR system. And it is one of the most integral statutes in the United States and supports vocational development and competition for people with BVI. And if you'd like to see a review of VR, you can see Mueller and Wentrab 2020 in the scholarly section. So the WIOA operates in partnership with the Department of Labor, the Department of Education, and Health and Human Services. And even though it was formally established in 1920, the VR system evolved with the changing needs of people injured after the World War I math aftermath and beyond. The Rehabilitation Act of 1973 was the most influential piece of legislation for people with disabilities, as it provided a legal basis for opposing discrimination due to disability, including work-related discrimination. There were calls for equality within disability, and that helped to pass the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, which defines disability as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activity. Now today, the WIOA, initially passed in 2014, is designed to not only provide work-related services, but also has a goal of job security and retention, main, mainly retention. So despite the importance of facilitating work-related services for people with disabilities, there is some research that has questioned the credibility and effectiveness of the VR program. One study seeking to assess the construct validity of VR related services specific to mental health, found variations in returns across client characteristics. And this research, this study was done by Dean and others in 2017. And they suggested that based on their findings of variations across 
the return of mental health needs for clients and their characteristics, they suggested that clients with specific mental health-related needs have negative long-run rates of work-related returns. This means that more people with mental health-related needs that were engaged in VR were less likely to have job retention. Now, specific to people with BVI, a more recent study asserted that people with BVI have unique stressors that are lacking critical examination. And these included persistence-induced anxiety, technology-related depression, and these are impacting work-related security and retention for people with BVI. And there's numerous research that argues similarly. You can see Bruce and Baker, 2005, Pruden and Steverson, 2021, if you're interested. Now, when we're considering the history of social political interests pertaining to disability, VR efforts appear to prioritize reintegration and economic sustainability, and thus may not necessarily consider the emergence of mental illness as cause for concern indiscriminately, right? According to data from the Annual Disability Statistics Compendium 2021, which is sourced by the Department of Labor, the Department of Education, and the Health and Human Services, the VR system served 4,000, a little over 4,000 people with BVI in 2016. And out of that number, a little over 1,400 of those cases were closed without employment. Now, due to the changes in the reporting and data collection of state VR agencies, the data is not readily available. And the most recent data, like I mentioned, was in 2016 related to these cases that have been closed without employment. And so it's suggested that people with BVI may be underserved as prospects for mental health services under the VR system. However, what is most concerning is the service patterns of VR system and the concept of risk that came up recurringly in the literature. Let me explain. VR-related services are delivered systematically, whereby the higher correlation of services within clusters informs services within factors that tend to be received together. For example, in the research by Geisen and Herlzer in 2016, they found that assessment services, which is a service that leads to diagnostic and treatment services, such as counseling and psychological assessment, that service had 34% lower odds of competitive employment for people with BVI. And as a result, the concept of risk relative to assessment services and and competitive employment through VR was suggested to be a biological factor in service delivery. Now, this concept of risk was also identified in other studies. Lund and CMARS 2019 review postulated the potential risk for VR consumers with BVI to have unsuccessful closures due to poorly targeted supports and interventions. And this is particularly true for those that were receiving social security benefits. McDonnell and others in 2021 also postulated the same risk, stating that people with BVI who are also receiving 
social security benefits may be at risk for poorer employment quality. So, you know, it seems like this notion of risk implies that mental health issues are considered a risk if not associated with employment outcomes. Now, when we look at this from an interdependent lens, right? Such behavior limits the long-term potential of psychological services and contributes to unsuccessful, unsuccessful closures because VR becomes a dependency. That's just my suggestion. This is what I'm postulating. And maybe care practitioners, mental health practitioners, they might believe that VR's systematic process is equitable and holistic. However, based on this research, it's inconclusive that that's true. Now, when we look at orientation and mobility, O&M training is provided to people with BVI to assist with maintaining travel competency and independence. It teaches people with BVI new orientation and mobility skills to compensate for reduced visual information. And if you're interested, you can look at the scholarly references section and find Weiner and others 2010 for more information on O&M training and services. O&M is a typical provision by state VR agencies. And O&M specialists are professionals. They're trained. They're certified. They go to school. They're trained to provide rehabilitation services to people with BVI across the lifespan. So not simply in early development, not simply um, after vision loss, but across the lifespan at multiple times in their lives. Now, a recent systematic review performed by Key and others in 2022 seeking to assess the cost-benefit of O&M training for people with BVI, concluded that the services offer substantial benefits toward objective functioning and thus are worth the cost of providing. However, what's interesting is according to the National Federation of the Blind, only an estimated 2%, 2% guys, of people with BVI actually utilize mobility tools such as a cane or a guide dog. And so while this percentage does not appear significant, when we consider the overall benefit of O&M training, it is really difficult to conclude that another variable does not exist. For example, an older study by Virgili and Rubin 2010 actually questioned the lack of subjective outcome measures to assess the effects of O&M training for people with BVI such as quality of life and recovery of self-esteem. So it suggested that mental health issues for people with BVI may include components of O&M. Further, mobility tools have been noted in research to impact employment. How? I'll tell you. According to research by Zabata 2020, people with BVI who utilize a cane or a guide dog as a mobility tool are 64% less likely to be employed, 64%. And when we consider earlier findings from NFB relative to mobility tool use at only 2% for this population and earlier studies to its functional benefit, you guys, this data is troubling. While many studies have shown a positive link between mobility skills and workforce preparedness among people with BVI, 
And you can see these Bell and Mino 2015 and McDonald 2011. Even fewer studies have considered the malleability, the manipulation power of self-efficacy, the ability for self-efficacy to be manipulated, changed, and altered depending on circumstances and social experiences. That needs to be paramount. Fewer studies have considered that when they consider rehabilitation interventions. So when we consider the interdependent nature of O&M and employment for people with BVI, there are implications relative to the mental health setting, right? Care practitioners like myself may fail to explore disability identity, such as levels of connection with one's impairment feelings of acceptance, and the disability community. All of these can be mechanisms for which change may occur. You know, the visible identifier of people with BVI is often the necessary mobility tool. That's what we see. That's how we determine that someone is blind or maybe has a vision impairment. And based on research by Zabata and Perlstein, a mobility tool interacts with feelings of depression, relative to self-worth and self-efficacy and employment. These are all connected and correlated. Now, how about care practitioners? What about me, right? What about clinical social workers? What about licensed professional counselors? What's the research say on that? Well, research on the relationships between care practitioners intimately involved in the lives of people with BVI is lacking in the current literature. Research indicating relationships with care practitioners are often interspersed in aggregate with other health professions like rehabilitation psychologists and social workers. And while this is good, it suggests that we're moving toward interprofessional education and training, which is a valued characteristic of learning. However, most education and training interventions indicate that content is overwhelmingly generalized for people with disabilities. You can see research by Amosin and others 2005, Anderson and others 2010, and Block and others 2005, where there were explicit training interventions that include generalized conceptions of what it means to be disabled and those related problems. And this lacks inclusion to very disabilities right? And their unique structural, social, and economic barriers to healthcare, including mental health, very disabilities such as blindness or visual impairment, or deafness. What's most important, though, about this recent review by Shakespeare and Klein regarding these interventions, regarding these training interventions, people with BVI were not found to be included as subject matter content in any of these interventions. So what does this mean when we think about the concept of mental health for people with BDI? Well, while the WIOA federally mandates the provision of VR-related services, including mental health-related services, states have separate regulatory privileges pertaining to these services. And so therefore, the definition of mental illness varies across states and agencies. And you can see more about this in Seymour and McDonnell 2019, their study. So to clarify further, I will utilize the state of Florida and its agencies to elucidate the defining terms. 
So although terminology in the field is not standardized, according to the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation Handbook of 2018, mental illness generally refers to clinically significant dysregulation of a person's cognition, emotion, or behavior, whereas mental disability generally refers to a state or condition of mental impairment. And so the Florida VR program actually utilizes the latter term, mental disability, to assess mental impairment and provide mental health services. Now, this is critical to understand because it distinguishes two terms that allude to two separate and two different types of professional treatment. As I mentioned earlier, health rehabilitation categorizes mental health conditions and symptoms as mental disabilities, right? thereby requiring a dominant medical lens to treat or restore, which is generally considered short-term. And you can see more research on this by Herendani, 2019, and Shakespeare, 2013, if you're interested. Therefore, mental illness is not considered a disability because it can be manipulated and improved, albeit sometimes requiring long-term care. Now, in stark contrast, the World Health Organization's definition of mental illness is as follows, and I'm going to quote it. It says, a mental disorder is characterized by a clinically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotional regulation, or behavior. It is usually associated with distress or impairment in important areas of functioning, and there are many different types of mental disorders, end quote. Now, it's important that we note that while there exist many definitions of mental illness, right, the World Health Organization's definition is one of the few that is inclusive of broader conditions to which mental illness may be affixed, especially when we're considering the com and comparing what the Florida VR program utilizes to categorize mental illness, right? For example, according to the World Health Organization, Psychosocial disability and mental states associated with significant distress, impairment in functioning, or risk of self-harm are all inclusive of mental illness, and that's according to the World Health Organization. So you can notice the, com the contrasting definitions and how those can play a role in the way that mental illness is perceived, conceptualized, and treated. So... It is suggested that people with BVI are less likely to initiate mental health services due in part by the reinforcement of health rehabilitation, socializations, and knowledge, right? As mental health is socialized as a short-term problem within health rehabilitative initiatives, the concept of long-term mental health intervention may appear unnecessary. However, this is inconclusive. This is just what I'm suggesting based on the research. Nonetheless, Lund and CMARS 2019 review spoke to VR's focus on employment outcomes, suggesting that people with BVI who have secondary disabilities, and these can include, you know, diagnosed mental illnesses on top of a blindness visual impairment. It can include medical conditions such as MS, lupus or people who may need additional support, like assistance with social needs. These people were considered 
at risk for unsuccessful closures through VR's system. So while VR's primary focus is job acquisition through the restoration and integration of people with disabilities, including mental disabilities, the lack of consideration to mental illness as a broad, multidimensional construct arguably limits the implication of mental illness on employment outcomes, right? When you think about retaining employment, you can't not think about needing long-term interventions, needing to understand how one fits into that employment sector, that employment business, that organization, those people, that, that culture. That requires long-term efficacious interventions. There's research that states that people with BVI must feel comfortable and competent with their visual impairment in order to do well in their job. They must feel self-confident and have confidence enough in their visual impairment to do their job well and to do their job with efficacy. This is like anybody else, guys. When I think about critical disability theory and how that pertains to this discussion, critical disability theory can be framed and understood by examining the earliest works by Max Horkheimer, 1937, relative to his critique of traditional social inquiry and order. And in his 1937 essay titled Traditional and Critical Theory, Horkheimer states that critical theory is a social theory oriented toward critiquing and changing society in contrast to traditional theory oriented only toward understanding or explaining it. Critical disability theory then, guys, can be defined as a methodology of inquiry that involves scrutinizing not bodily or mental impairments, but the social norms that define particular attributes as impairments as well as the social conditions that concentrate stigmatized attributes in particular populations. And this is a quote by Minnick, 2016. This is why we're talking about people with BVI in health rehabilitation processes, because it's that organizational and systematic context to which a concentration of visual impairment is stigmatized. And social conditions such as anxiety, depression, mood disorders, trauma, are still stigmatized in that attribute of blindness. So when we consider findings from current research, there exists no utility of critical frameworks nor approaches that examine the mental health issues of people with BVI. So while current research exists surrounding the mental health effects of social and impairment-related issues relative to this population, none of these findings have been replicated since first identified in 2011. With current practice primarily focused on vision-related mental health issues, such as visual function or visual acuity, problem-solving ways to get your needs met through task, problem solving, and teaching people skills on how to manage daily activities. This podcast is one of the first projects where we're intentionally critiquing and challenging traditional approaches to understanding 
the mental health issues of people with BDI, with the goal of producing new methods of problem solving, particularly within the centralized and interconnected relationships between VR, O&M, care practitioners, and people with BDI. We have to begin to think holistically about this, and I'm going to go first. Here is my positionality statement, and I encourage other providers related to this process to do the same. As a daughter of a blind and hard of hearing mother, I present with my own biases and beliefs regarding blindness, and I know that others may not share in those beliefs, despite sharing in the condition of blindness itself. The secondary trauma experienced as a child and adult observing my mother's social political challenges, all of this has orchestrated the notion for me that there are distinct opposites involved in the care of people with disabilities. You are either convinced that such life is a tragedy and that should be pitied, or you exert control over the fallacy and remove the disruptors. I also understand that my pedagogical background as a clinical social worker and mental health practitioner positions me in a state of power whereby I conceptualize blindness or visual impairment as primarily a social problem, one that requires removal of the medical model solution altogether, right? However, this is not solving the problem. If my goal is to work in concert to rectify and re-energize the mental health needs of people with BVI through effective measures. I have to work in concert with health rehabilitation professionals. I have to work with them. This notion of us against them will not suffice. So there are two actionable steps to address this issue, and I encourage other providers to do the same. First, accept and name my biases to increase self-awareness. Second, strategize the unlearning of such biases through collaboration techniques, such as brainstorming barriers to successful implementation and gathering interdisciplinary input via small group discussion, very similar to what we're doing here with this podcast. When, we, when I'm retreating to this belief of us against them, I'm reminded by Weiss and others 2018 who cautions that such bias coincides with in-group and out-group mentality, whereby you are favoring those you perceive as more similar to you over those who are less like you, and conversely, perceiving those different from you more negatively than those similar to you. The truth of the matter is we all have our learnings. We all have learned how to manage people with disabilities, how to work with people with disabilities, and it's not 100% reliable. We have to understand there's a structural competency involved in the lives of people with BVI, and we have to understand this explicitly. 
Structural competency is the ability for health professionals to recognize and respond with self-reflexive humility and community engagement to the ways negative health outcomes and lifestyle practices are shaped by larger socioeconomic, cultural, political, and economic forces. Mental health practitioners need to stop waiting for people with BVI to get involved or initiate treatment or say what they want. Mental health practitioners need to reject the fear that you will mess up or you get it wrong. Maybe you will get it wrong. Maybe you won't connect with someone with BVI, but to not try and to not go to those people, not to, to not learn from those relationships, from not making those relationships simply due to a visual impairment is wrong. There are a variety of blindness and ex they exist on a spectrum that cannot be explicated through textbooks and objective assessments. You must build relationships. You have to learn about the blind community and take risks to reach this population. When you think about yourself and if you had BVI and you were struggling, wouldn't you appreciate such outreach? Someone to say, hey, I've been studying research and I understand the systematic care that you receive. Is this a problem for you that I can help with? What that would mean to someone with BVI. Caring. That's a, what a holistic health provider does. A holistic health provider understands how social conditions and practical systemization undermine the capacities of patients to obtain healthcare, comply with treatment, and adjust lifestyles successfully. The fact of the matter is, guys, people with BVI must choose between mental health or their jobs. And this is just me speaking, but that's what it appears to sound like. That's what it appears to be. And I, I, I tell you, it's, they're going to choose their jobs. And that's inequitable. So to summarize what we discussed today, we have covered the unique mental health issues for people with BVI and more so how these issues are rooted in disability social political narratives and concepts. Critical education was shared about the limitations of both the medical and social models of disability. And these were highlighted as excellent mechanisms to which professionals involved in the lives of people with BVI, such as VR counselors, O&M professionals, and mental health practitioners may begin to unlearn the pedagogical knowledge that inhibits diversity for people with BVI. I want to thank my listeners to, for listening today. I want to invite you to subscribe to my show, and I want you to keep seeing with more than just your sight. Take care.